Revelation chapter 3 and uh, verse 7. We're going to get through um, Philadelphia today. I do want to say uh, thank you to uh, Bob Warren and Dr. Arnold. And Dr. Arnold's with us this morning. Let's give him a nice warm welcome and his wife, Betty. Uh, they've been doing the Lord's work, and I don't think that's just uh, hyperbole at all. I think that they are doing exactly what the Lord wants them to do. They're here for this week, and then they're going to Rydell, Georgia, uh, and then they're coming back, and they'll be here for a little bit. But uh, Yankee and, and Betty have been recovering from different health ailments, and it's just good to have him here with us. I, I, I like that uh, he's still here because he's a blessing to us and an encouragement to me. I did go to that <clears throat> conference a couple of weeks ago. I, I failed to mention it at all last Sunday, so it was good. Spoke on discipleship, got to meet some people. I, I mean, I've read their books before, Dennis Roxer and Mike Halsey and uh, Hal Haller. It was great to be able to fellowship with people. And um, one of the things that I've failed to mention to you is there's a new app on the App Store. It's called Grace Zone. If you got Google Play or the Apple App Store, Grace Zone, look that up. And it's a wonderful collection of free grace teachers. I mean, all the way, <clears throat> I mean, all over the country, uh, even out of the country, Case Boar is on that app. It's called Grace Zone, and I actually got to meet the gentleman who started that app. His name is Kenneth McClure, and we talked for a while, and, and he was excited about Florida Bible College and all the different things that are going out of this ministry. And sometimes I think you and I are so close to Calvary. I mean, we sit in this building. The back building is where the college is. We know all the teachers and professors and all that. We don't realize how much it's impacting people outside of this church. I mean, Florida Bible College of Tampa is beginning to be recognized as one of the places to get a sound Bible education that does not sacrifice the gospel over scholastic research. I mean, and the school is, and it's, I think it's in its ninth year. Is that right, Bob? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's amazing to see we're just moving along and, and getting things done. We've got over 60 online students, uh, and we have students that are in class as well. Stephanie is uh, on track to graduate. We're excited about that. Tina Pinamang. Is Tina with us this morning? She might be in the, in the nursery. She can hear. Uh, oh, we are in our 10th year, but uh, Tina graduated last year, and it's wonderful uh, to be able to have something like that. But we're getting recognized around these free grace circles as a legitimate place of, of study. So I think that's a blessing. I spoke on discipleship, talked about how important it is for pastors and teachers to be actively looking for people to disciple. That's not just something that pastors should choose to do if they have time. It should be a part of their job because God forbid something happens to them and then the door is, is, or the chair is vacant. There's not anybody who's ready to come in. And there's a real danger right now with internet ministries and people are very content to just have their church on the internet and not really meet anywhere. Folks, you recognize what can happen if we get in a war and there's an EMP that goes off? Every single piece of electronic technology is exactly what it is, just parts. It doesn't work anymore. It's not like you can plug it in and charge it again. It's totally wiped away. So meeting in local churches and having these ministries around the uh, communities that we're in are very important. They become more important than the technology. We're living in a time right now where that abounds, and it's something that we should definitely take advantage of, but we should not rely on it as our only way to reach people with the truth. You know, this truth in a treat event, the great chili cook-off, all those different things, it's all an opportunity to bring people into the sounds of the gospel. The Iwana program, the ranch program, the addictions program, all opportunities to get in front of our community, offer them something so that we can give them what they really need, which is everlasting life. Amen? And we're going to talk about that at length today. But I do appreciate the church sending me. It was, it was a good time. Uh, sadly, got back. <laughs> I think we stayed a little too long. Got back. I was totally run down. I was doing fine. Monday, Tuesday, started to feel a little not fine, and then Wednesday it was like, and then Thursday, and then most of Friday, and I'm still, as you can hear, kind of like not over the, the, the pressure in my head. It's like a balloon up there. You guys know what I'm talking about? When you wake up, and it's just like this bubble bouncing around in your head. It's like, oh, where is it going to land today? You know, this morning it was like right here. 
I was like, please just go away. <laughs> but uh, thankful to be here, thankful for men that have stepped up uh, in my absence. We do appreciate it. We're talking about the church of Philadelphia. This church is very similar in the address to Smyrna. Now, remember, both of these churches were um, faithful. They got no rebuke. There was no, hey, I, I've got one thing against you. Uh, these were faithful ministries. And if you recall with Smyrna, they were the persecuted church. Um, they were the church that went through a lot of bloodshed. And we studied some of the things that Polycarp said before his death, where he was forced to recant Jesus as Savior or burn at the stake. And he said, he said exactly what he said, which was, 80 and some years I've served my king, and he's never done anything wrong to me. How could I ever say something against him? And he lost his life at the roar of Jewish people who willingly set the thing on fire. And there was mention of the synagogue of Satan and Jews who are not really Jews, and we talked about that at length. And now it's going to come up again in the church of Philadelphia. But let's go through some history here. Sadly, <laughs> when you search Philadelphia ruins online nowadays, it's like everything's about Philadelphia in America. Because <laughs> uh, right now, sadly, it's, it's one of the poorest cities in our, in our nation. It's totally destroyed with crime and poverty. And it was really hard to get Google to realize ancient Philadelphia. And then they'll go to like some, I literally found a barber shop in Philadelphia called Ancient Cuts. And I was like, please, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> but when I finally put in there, Seven Cities of Revelation, Philadelphia, Illustrated, didn't find much. Uh, if, you, if you actually Google stuff like that, you'll find there's a lot of trips. You can actually go and visit these cities. I think that would be a great uh, trip to do one time, to see all these seven cities. But I've got this map up here for you. So if you take a look, as we've been studying, we've gone through Ephesus, the loveless church, and then Smyrna. And you remember how in Revelation 1, Jesus was talking about those seven stars being in, in, in his midst, as in it was in a sphere. Well, we're actually coming around now so that it is just like it is described. Uh, and, and the Lord is in the center of these things. Then we studied Smyrna, the persecuted church, and then Pergamum, the, uh, the compromising church, Thyatira, the corrupt church. Yesterday, or last week, we talked about Sardis, the dead church, and this was the church that seemed to be alive and functioning and getting things done, but there was no spiritual growth. There was a lot of, excuse me, sacrifice and acceptance of, of bad doctrine was, was coming in, and Jesus had his longest address to Sardis, and it wasn't pretty. And now we're talking about Philadelphia, which is the faithful few. Okay, it's the faithful few. And, and I believe this period of time uh, represents the time just before the 1900s where missionary advances were going all around the world and people were getting saved. And it's just a few people. And it wasn't anything flashy. Stadiums were not being sold out, all those different things. But uh, people were getting saved. And I believe the the expression that we see Jesus use about himself here, the first two verses, verses 7 and 8, I think reveal a lot about how churches are supposed to function. Okay, so that's the map that we've got up there. And then, of course, next week we'll wrap up this series with a study on uh, Laodicea, which I believe is the, the church age now, before uh, it all comes crashing down. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2, John is asked to go up in the Spirit, and a lot of people uh, think that's a... It's a, it, it, it's a picture of the rapture. I could see that. I could see also how it wouldn't be, but I think there's actually something very clear when we look today um, in the Scriptures about the church and the rapture and why it's important that the rapture happens before the tribulation period. There's, there's a reason here, and I think Jesus talks about that quite plainly in this Scripture. But let's go ahead and get into our text. <clears throat> Bear with me, of course. Um, I've, asked the, I've asked for... No coughing fits <laughs> uh, during this time. So let's start there in verse number seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Just some background on this city of Philadelphia here. It's located 30 miles southeast of Sardis. It was founded in 189 BC by a Pergamon king, his name is Eumenes II, and it's literally translated as brotherly love. 
And Eumenes gave it uh, its name in honor of the love he had for his brother, Attalus. It's famous for its production of wine. Now, it's located near a volcanic region, but I think because of that, the land was so fertile that they were able to grow grapes, and they were able to ferment those grapes and produce wine. It's actually noted by the famous uh, Roman poet Virgil about the wine that comes from Philadelphia. It was regarded as a gateway city because of its location to the trade routes that shared into Asia Minor. So right before you were getting into Asia Minor, you'd have to go through Philadelphia. And so it was founded there. It's my, little, my last little uh, piece of history here. It was considered a missionary city for many, many years. It was considered a missionary city because the Hellenistic values, uh, the Hellenistic beliefs, they were there so that they can present unity with the Oriental beliefs. And so if you, if you study a lot about Greek mythology, for example, <coughs> and the saints in the Catholic Church, you see a lot of those Lego pieces coming together. Uh, and, and this happened with Constantine when he declared the world to be Christian and all persecution against Christianity to cease. They just kind of took things that were pagan and put a Christian you know, spin on it. And a lot of that has happened over and over, and, and we need to be wise against those things. But this city particularly was a city that was going to reach the Oriental world for Greek mythology. And it was considered that for a long time, again, because of its location. But Jesus says to this church, look there in verse 7, he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to just put a cross-reference here to Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 through 23. We're not going to go there this morning. But Jesus Christ, he represents himself here as the one who is holy, genuine, and authoritative. This is important for the working believer because there will be things that come against you as you do the Lord's work, and you will begin to think that those who oppress you have power over you. They do not. You answer to Jesus Christ. He's the one who's going to reward you accordingly, and you will be able to partake of, only, of what only he can give. This is what transforms the mindset of a working servant into a joyful servant. Okay, because the, the, the world is trying to cut you out. The world is trying to remove your influence. However, if you're wise beyond the recognition of what this world offers, you can see and understand that Jesus is the one who is going to reward you. Folks, we don't serve anybody else but him. You know how freeing that is? There's not some corrupt church leader that you have to go through first. We, go, we, we, can, we, have, we have the ear of Jesus. He is our mediator. He stands as we are accused and declares us righteous because of his shed blood, his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is very encouraging for small congregations that seem, we don't have the numbers, we don't have the building, we don't have the money, but you got the Lord. What else do you need? It's a very uh, important encouragement. But when it says here, I want you to note where it says, he that hath the key of David. <clears throat> I got this from a commentary here. The key of David seems to refer to Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 23, where Hezekiah's servant, uh, Eliakim, received authority over David's house, including access to all the king's treasure. And as a matter of fact, in verse 23, it uses, Jesus is using the same phrase that's in Isaiah 22, verse 23, at the end of this passage here, and here's what it says. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. He is the one that controls the doors that open and the doors that close. Now, we're going to transition here because I want to talk about what is the door, right? We're going to talk next week about, behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? And, and we're going to look at what that passage means contextually, and, and we're going to seal and deal that at that time. But Jesus then goes into verse 8 here, and he talks about that door again. And we should be able to, using uh, uh, hermeneutical principles, we should be able to look at other places in Scripture and see, is there any comparison that we can link between these doors. He's talking to a church that's faithful. He's talking to a church that's getting things done. So what is this door that he's opening? And if we can find out what that door is, how can we here at Calvary <coughs> or churches around the country do the same thing? What is that door? Well, I want to offer something to you here, but let's read uh, in verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, 
and has kept my word and has not denied my name. I want you to hold your spot here and go to the book of Colossians in chapter 4. I'm, gonna, I'm going to propose to you this morning that the door that is opened by Jesus Christ to the church of Philadelphia <coughs> and in turn to all churches is the door of evangelism. The door of evangelism. There are some other passages that we're not going to look at because they're just one verse and they require a lot of contextual uh, backup. But 1 Corinthians 16, 9 mentions an effectual door was open. Paul's talking there. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 talks about a door being opened to go into Macedonia. But Colossians 4, verses 3 through 6, I think really give a, a very nice concrete picture about the door that's being opened. Paul is asking for prayer here. And he says in verse 3, Withal, praying for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. What is that mystery? Well, the mystery, which we see back in Ephesians chapter 3, which was revealed, is that Jew and Gentile are in the same body. But that's, that's just a part of what we understand here. The mystery is now revealed that salvation is attainable to all by faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. So the door that Paul is praying to be opened for him to have utterance, which is to speak, is the door to lead people to that knowledge of Jesus Christ. This should be the goal for every ministry. Let's continue there in verse 4. That I might make it manifest, which is to make it known, as I ought to speak. Now, um, we, we know from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 that we've been entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak uh, not as pleasing men, but God with trieth our hearts. So it, it, it's not something that the church does as an option, okay? And you're seeing this today, and this is more talk about the church in Laodicea, but obviously the ministries that Philadelphia had going out were ministries that were focused on evangelism. I think it's interesting that Philadelphia was a missionary city for some pagan religion of, of Hellenistic beliefs. Yet the word of the Lord had gotten into that city, it had taken hold, and there were faithful few who had not denied his name, and they're going out and reaching people. Remember, it was uh, considered highly valuable because of its trade route access into Asia Minor. So how many people would have come through there with the opportunity to have seeds planted for the gospel? So I think that door that Jesus is talking about there is the door to evangelism. And it should be the test for every good church. How is your evangelism? And it's important because if the church does not have evangelism, well, it falls into a different category, and we'll talk about that in a minute. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. I want you to notice here when he says, make it manifest as I ought to speak, verse 3, a door of utterance is opened. I'm in bonds because of this message. I want to make sure that I'm getting these things done. I really like how simple verse 5 is because it says, when I choose to speak with this utterance of the gospel, I want to walk wisely. I want to walk in wisdom. You want to be a wise person? You want to be someone who is wise beyond your years? Learn how to find opportunities to get the gospel in front of other people. God will bless that. That is a door that I believe he has flung wide open for anybody who wants to be a part of it. And there are terrible things that go on about evangelism nowadays. You know, door-to-door -door doesn't work anymore today. And, and sadly, a lot of people look at that stat and they say, therefore, we don't need to do anything about reaching people. We'll just let the Holy Spirit do that. You must speak it. You have got to say it. You have got to go out there and get it in the hands of other people. Attract accomplishes that. But when our mouths are shut, we are doing the work of the devil for him. It's free labor. We don't want that. Walk in wisdom toward who, as it says there in verse 5, toward them that are without. And you hear the same phrase that you hear back in Ephesians chapter 5, redeeming the time for the days are evil. You see it again here in, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. 
I, I just do not see here where evangelism is a gift. And some people have and some people don't. It's a responsibility of each and every one of us. And when you find a ministry that's focused on evangelism, you latch on to it and you find out how you can help. This is a part of how the church functions. And it was obviously a part of the church in Philadelphia because Jesus said, I've opened a door. And I'm the one who can shut it. And when I shut it, <laughs> I'm not going to open it again. He is the one who has that power. And it's wise for people in ministry to recognize this should be our focus. The goal of the church body should be to evangelize. A church without evangelism is a church without a purpose. Let me say that again. A church without evangelism is a church without a purpose, period. They walk around in their buildings with the front doors closed to the world. And we've seen, we're seeing a lot of that today. A lot of churches are becoming college lecture halls, right, with the fancy screens and the PowerPoints and all these different things. The lost person doesn't, they're not even invited in. Oh, let's just go over what we already know. Let's just fellowship with one another. And we've already had five community events this year. Last night we had one for, for church family, but it was still open to anybody to come. We want to make sure that people in our area know about this church to the point where if they're not going to come out to see us, we're going to go out to see them. We're not going to say, well, it's just the will of the Lord. He doesn't want anybody here. No, no. You got to get on your two feet and put one foot in front of the other and start getting things done. That is the sign of a growing church. So what about the church? Maybe that's plentiful in, in, in persons. It's mighty in ministries, but it's not, it's not set to reach people. Well, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can let Colossians go. Hang on there to Revelation chapter 3. And look in 2 Corinthians ch uh, chapter 4. There's a lot to cover here. Page 1232 in the Church Bible. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. Same author here. He said to the church in Colossae, I want to walk in wisdom towards them that are without. He says to the, Corinth, uh, to the church in Corinth for the second time that he's writing to them, I don't want to walk in craftiness, dishonesty, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Can all those things happen among true believers? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> you search. You know where it's happening a lot today? <coughs> prophecy. Boy, everybody's got to take on prophecy. And it's, it, I'm going to say it's easy to do because there's a lot of things in Revelation that are very ambiguous. You're, you know, it could be this, it could be that. You're not sure. I don't think it's really for us to understand fully because we're going to be checked out. We're going to be getting fitted, folks. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. By the way, how exciting is it that red heifers, those very unique, they've been delivered. Let me just share this with you. This is not, I didn't plan to talk about this, but this is so amazing. There is not one misplaced hair color on those animals. They meet the biblical definition perfectly. Usually, these animals are tagged in the ear. There's a hole that drives through them to mark them. But because of COVID, they did not get pierced. la ti da And they're saying, we don't even, well, they're saying this. I believe the temple needs to be rebuilt. But they're saying they, they could even start these sacrifices as soon as this fall. Ooh. Now, if Hank Lindstrom weren't here, we'd be doing a lot of this. Okay? <laughs> Because it's time, folks. I think we're getting ready to exit stage left. Aren't you excited? I'm so excited. I used to think, you know, I tell you this about Kyle all the time. Oh, you know, <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait until we buy a house. Don't worry about that. We're going to get raptured. Oh, I can't wait until we adopt a kid. Don't worry about that. We're going to get raptured. Now I'm really sitting here thinking, man, it could really be in a couple of years here. It could be in a couple of days. How exciting. And, uh, you know, you're going to see later on when, when we get into this today, how clear it is that the rapture is happening before the tribulation period. But if you and I are kind of asleep at the wheel and we're not paying attention to these things, 
Maybe he's going to come back and you're going to be found in shame. You're not ready. You're not working. I look at it as a privilege to get up every day and be able to come here and prepare the word of God and take phone calls and, 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 and talk to people. I look at it as a privilege because one day he's going to come back. And I do believe it's in my time. And I know that Paul believed the same thing and Dr. Lindstrom believed the same thing too. But you know what? Either way, by death or by transformation, I'm going to see him. And that's exciting. I serve for that. I can't wait. All right, getting back to this here. Not handling the word of God deceitfully. We talked about, yes, that happens. And I think it's happening in a major way in prophecy because there's a lot of different opinions on that. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. As we make the truth known, we're binding ourselves in accountability to God to those men. The people that we share, we are held accountable by God by the things that we do. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Let me read you this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I, I saw this in, in uh, somebody's office years ago, and it just stuck with me. Now, Spurgeon, I think, was probably one of the most effective Calvinists because he said, uh, even if they're predestined or not, I don't know, so I'm going to reach everybody with the gospel. Okay, that sounds good. But he wrote this quote here, and it's, uh, it's very shocking to hear it. Sobering is the word. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Wow. Strong. That's a shot to the arm. That's a punch to the gut. Because I think a lot of times, if you and I are not careful, we have our ears deadened to those who are perishing and spending an eternity in hell. It is happening right now, today. People will die and begin eternal separation from God forever. I believe they go into the heart of the earth until it is time for them to be judged. And then, at the great white throne judgment, they will be judged according to their works, and then they will be cast into the lake of fire. The smoke of their torment will ascend forever, but you and I will remember them no more, but they will be there forever, forever. I can't even say day and night, because it's just eternity. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we become desensitized to that truth. Oh, well, you know, God's will be done. You know what God's will is? For you to say something. For us to be out there. When we choose not to share the gospel or not to be focused on getting the gospel out, not to be actively praying for those in our families, and I know all of you have family members that are not saved. Some of you have been praying earnestly for years. May I say confidently that you keep praying? Keep praying, and as you find opportunity, you find yourself willing and able to take advantage of that opportunity to share the gospel? But if we hide our gospel, if we make it something that we package away only to be revealed on Sunday mornings when the church is full, guess what? We're hiding it from the people that need it the most. Look what it says in verse 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You learn two things here. Number one, that the devil is actively blinding the minds of those who have yet to believe. He's doing it, and you know it. <coughs> A lot of people think we're going to find our, our uh, new connection with, with God and, or with, with higher things and, and all this other stuff through the human spirit, through the power and the will of mankind. We're going to be able to accomplish it. It's not going well. In fact, I think we are the most divided that we've ever been. And even if that's not true, a lot of people believe that because of what is being put out in media today. The second thing here is that the glorious gospel of Christ is the thing that they need to see. And isn't it interesting? Look in verse 14. Or, uh, excuse me. Look in chapter 11, verses uh, 3 through 4. Chapter 11, verses 3 through 4. Paul talks about this again. 
Page 1237, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, his craftiness, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Funny story time. I was out there in McDonough, Georgia with Freddie Coyle. He was out there uh, at, at the conference. And the last day, he comes up to me and bumps my shoulder. He said, hey, brother, did you get your free copy of the Book of Mormon? And I thought, no. He said, go and look in your drawer in your hotel room. There it was. I did get my free copy of the Book of Mormon. Took it with me, in fact. That was his point. Get it out of the hotel room. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's good. I might just start a ministry doing that. But you know what it says right there? In, uh, right on the very front of the Book of Mormon. Another testament of Jesus Christ. You know what's happening with some of us? Really? Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's exactly what they named their book. And we can see here that how is the devil going to distract? Oh, with hedonism. Oh, with materialism. Oh, with the, the idolizing of uh, ego. No, he's going to present another religious option. You know, the Antichrist is called the Antichrist. Hello? It's going to be uniform religion. It's going to be traditionalism. And when Paul says here, don't be uh, deceived as, as, as Eve was by subtlety, by that craftiness, you're going to hear of another Jesus, you're going to hear of another gospel, another one who sent, you might even go along with it if you're not careful. Look in verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. Is that what it says? No, it says very clearly, into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Wow, wow, wow. It's not going to be through secular humanism. It's going to be through feigned godliness. It's going to be through all oh, human effort. This is mind-blowing to me because it, it, it tells us that ultimately in the seven years when the Antichrist comes and the false prophet and they're doing all their stuff, it's going to be one world religion. Okay? And I don't think people are going to be afraid of that word religion as they are now. They're going to be doing miracles and lying signs and wonders as 2 Thessalonians tells us. But guess what? You turn on most of Christian programming today and you see those ministers of righteousness that are not ministers of righteousness at all. As Jude says, there are spots on your garments. It's moldy bread in your feast. There are clouds without water. <laughs> Marvel not at these things. And you and I have to, we got to pay attention. We have got to pay attention. Or else we let these people come right in. And they'll do it to us. All right, let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. So I've made the case there for you about the door being opened uh, is evangelism. <coughs> Now let's look at five promises through verses uh, 9 through 12 that Jesus gives to these believers. The first one is, your accusers will acknowledge the truth that they deny. Boy, the modern thing in Hollywood today is vengeance, 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 right? Go get yours. Someone does something wrong to you and it can be proven in a court of law. You go out there and get them and all these different things and that's what our movies are doing. That's what our idols are doing, all this stuff. The ones who are against the gospel message are going to have to answer to Jesus Christ. And that's the one that you serve. You let him take care of that and you keep doing the good work. You keep fighting the good fight. Be found faithful every day, day in and day out. He'll take care of the rest. I think some of us are kneading our hands like, can he though? Is he able? I don't know. Really? By the way, how many of you have uh, been paying attention to the James Webb Telescope? Some very interesting stuff. 
me and Greg. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> but it's some very interesting stuff. You know, they think the universe is like 13.7 billion years old and that it all happened from a cosmic fart, excuse me, the Big Bang. And, and these things just, everything just happened that way. Let me tell you something, very quickly, they believe that the closer they get to the point of singularity, the more rugged and less defined these galaxies will be because they haven't been crashed and you know, all this gas and stuff swirling around. You're going to find uh, galaxies that are less formed, less complex, the closer you get to the point of singularity. I got news for you. <laughs> what they are finding is as they look back into time, and I believe in a young earth, I believe that we're, we're about 6,000 years here, as they look back, guess what they're finding? More complex galaxies than the one we're in right now. It is now the leading theory. By the way, it's called the Big Bang Theory, folks, not the Big Bang Fact. They don't tell your kids that. They don't tell us that. Listen, they're finding the Big Bang Theory has zero credibility. None. But there's a couple leading astrophysicists that say, I, I kid you not, this is what they say, there must be a smudge on the glass. <laughs> there must be a malfunction, some space dirt. Anything to keep the dream alive. Amazing stuff. I'm putting together some of that for a Wednesday night because it's very interesting to see what, what, what's happening. But you know what's coming down? over and over and over, the Bible being true, the Bible being accurate. Folks, if you're not all there yet, you're not sure, don't let it be to the point where you get raptured to find out it was all true. Start studying the Word and compare what's going on out there, and every advance is trying to take God out of the picture. And this marvelous technology of this, this telescope and all that it can see is proving once again the Bible to be accurate. What man says was right, God says is not accurate. I said 13.5 billion years old. That's how they think old the universe is. They found a galaxy that's 13.7 by their dating and their metrics. <laughs> now, how does that work? It does. It doesn't. But they're going to tell you it's true. But let me, let me continue here. Your accusers will acknowledge the truth that they deny. Look there in verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not. We've, we talked about that when we were talking about Smyrna. But do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Hold your place and go to Philippians chapter 2. When will this event happen? Well, I believe it's a twofold thing. We can see in, at the end of time, of course, when the great white throne judgment is complete, but then also, when the Lord comes back, when he returns in great power and glory and every eye will see him. Look what it says there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, page 1259. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen and amen. That, that, that day is coming, and it's a promise here that is told to the faithful in Philadelphia, and I think to the church in general. Don't worry about the ones who lie against you. There's going to come a day where they recognize the truth that you taught was true, because they will recognize me. Also, I want you to note here that the Lord loves you. He is not some hard servant that is demanding sinless perfection out of you. He is merciful, he is gracious, he is motivated by love. That gets me up every morning. That gets me out of bed every morning. I kid you not. To know that the, the, the mercies for the Lord, the, the mercies of the Lord towards me are new that day. It brings 1 John 1, 9 into beautiful color. When I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I have restored fellowship with him. What a beautiful thing. The second promise here is that you will not go through the hour of testing, which I believe is the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Look at what this says. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, 
I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon, upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I don't think there's a clearer place to show that the church will not go through the testing which is reserved for the world. Now, I think it's pretty cool that the most recent video that we put on Bible Line, you can check out the YouTube channel, was discussing pre, mid, and post tribulation rapture beliefs. I believe, as the scripture has contended here so very clearly, that the church will not go through the rapture. Now, most of you know the passages that we're going to cite here, but <coughs> some of you do not. So I want you to write this down. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. And then 1 John 2, 28. And the reason why I put down 1 John 2, 28 is because people look at the first thing that Jesus said here. Let's look at it. Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. And they say, ah, the rapture is for the faithful believers. So the ones who are unfaithful, they're going to get left. So when you're presented with a point like this, the first thing that you should think of is, is there a place in Scripture which clearly disproves that claim? It's funny, someone on YouTube the other day didn't like that I used the word clear. And you know what? That's too bad. And let me be clear. I'm going to continue to use that word. I think the, I think the reason why we, we go for clarity over unclarity is because things that are unclear are simply that. You can't understand how they get to that conclusion. And in the video that I did, uh, mid-trib... There's a lot of scripture twisting there. Post-trib, I think the scripture is totally absent. But there's people that believe that. And I contend that the pre-trib is the clearest because I think scripture makes the simplest defense for it. There's nothing mutilated within that. But look, hold your place here and go to 1 John 2, 28. Is the rapture only for the faithful few? Will there be people here that are not as faithful as another person who will be left and therefore be punished? Because of that? Let's take a look. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. By the way, another shameless plug, please be paying attention to the Sunday night services. 1 John is a wonderful book. I, I, I think it will help you immensely. However, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, page 1323. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, John wrote 1 John. John also authored Revelation. As he records the words of Jesus in Revelation 3.10, this statement does not become untrue. So therefore, the ones who are faithful and unfaithful to abide in Christ, they're all going to go at the rapture. This is why I believe the next event that happens after the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ, where everyone will be rewarded according to the things that they did, whether they be profit, profitable or profitless. And it's just going to come out right there at that moment. I do believe that there will be carnal, wicked undisciplined believers that will go before the Lord and be ashamed at the things they could have done, but they chose to serve the dead slave master of sin. But they will be there at the rapture. Otherwise, we are indicating that the sin which the believer had requires second punishment. All the punishment for our sin was satisfied on the cross. Simple steps, we were, we, were in Ephes, we were in Ephesians chapter 4 in simple steps. And there's that phrase, a sweet-smelling savor to God about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That verse always really gets me because it, it teaches two things. Uh, number one, the body of Jesus Christ, that offering on the cross, it pleased God. It wasn't something that brought him grief. It pleased him that sin had been paid for. And the second thing is, that's the length in which God would go to rescue me. And it 
it stays with me when I, re- when I think about the things that I could choose to do in service to myself, but instead I want to serve the Lord because that reality of Jesus Christ's death on the cross does not change. Why would I want to live a life towards myself when I could live it willingly in sacrifice to the Lord? And when you think about it, it's not even really a sacrifice. It's totally acceptable, as Romans 12 says. Why would we choose to do anything else? There are believers who are running around like children of the devil, and they're missing out on opportunities. Look at the church of Corinth. They were celebrating a lot of stuff there. They were getting absolutely plastered at the Lord's Supper. They were, they, they were favoring themselves over their brother. They're like, yeah, we'll remember the Lord's death until he come. And, and Paul had to set them straight. They had a lot of sexual immorality in their ministry. But you know what? If the, if the Lord came at that point, they'd be before the Lord. They would be before the Lord. And they would receive, you know, wood, hay, and stubble, most of them. And some gold, silver, and precious metals. But we can't take Revelation 3.10 and say, oh, this is only for the faithful few. Because 1 John 2.28 is still true. You can be ashamed before him at his coming because he came and you are not serving. And that's why John says, my little children, abide in him. Stay close to the fellowship. Stay sensitive. Stay willing. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. Your accusers will acknowledge the truth that they deny, Revelation 3.9. You will not go through the hour of testing, which is tribulation. (coughs) That's Revelation 3.10, and we looked at those verses there. The, The third promise is, I'm coming quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Don't let anybody discourage you. By, oh, it's been all these years and he still hasn't come back. Second Peter talks about that. Well, who are you going to believe? Can you imagine if you bought the lie and all of a sudden the Lord comes back the same day? <laughs> you were so close to finishing, to, to, to finishing it well. The fourth promise here is, you will be with me always. Revelation 3, in verse 12, part A. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of God, which is uh, New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. Boy, let me, let me read to you this commentary that tied some things here about this pillar and what this means for the believer. When Solomon built the temple following his ascension to the throne, he had a worker of brass from Tyre construct two massive pillars for the porch. Solomon named one of these pillars Jachin, meaning establish, and he named the other pillar Boaz, meaning strength. For reference, you can see this in 1 Kings 7, verses 13 through 21. The overcomers were promised future positions with Christ which appear to be described by the meanings of the names given to these two pillars, established and strengthened. The promise to all overcomers that they would go no more out refers to their fixed position as pillars in the temple. That's the picture. Now what is the translation of that? And with the two massive pillars in Solomon's temple in view, saying that overcoming Christians will be placed in the position of pillars in the temple is the same as saying that these Christians will occupy sure, secure, and firmly established positions of strength and power, positions which will be realized when they rule and reign as co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom. You're like, where where do we find we're going to rule and reign with him? That picture right there gives it. Now, later, as we had had looked um, at Eliakim back there in Isaiah chapter 22... He was like a peg that was not firmly in, and he fell through. You and I are going to be secured. We're going to be strengthened in Christ, in those positions of power, determined on how how faithful you are here. We all understand how retirement account works. You put money in, the money goes to work for you. When you need it, you pull it out. Hello, government tax, right? (laughs) And then you have what you have earned. Isn't it wonderful to know that you can put things away here on earth in your works and the Lord will give you exactly what you have earned there are some of us that won't be rulers over much there were some of us that will be rulers over much 
I can't put that motivation in you. But Jesus says it right here. He says it right here. I will write upon him the name of my God. And then the last promise here is I will, I will identify with you, my faithful people. As it says at the end of verse 12 there, and I will write upon him my new name. I don't know what that name is. I think we will know it at one point. It's very, uh, th- this, this description here was understood by the people in Philadelphia because the servants of the wicked gods would, I kid you not, tattoo their name of their God on their forehead, as if to say, this is my possession. Just as we do today, if you got brothers and sisters, you got you know, six different water bottles in the house, which one is yours? You write your name on it. it it's, it's also understood in this time that those who served these pagan gods and were very devoted, they wrote the name of that pagan god on their forehead. I don't think it's a coincidence either that the mark of the beast is going to be on the forehead or on the hand to signify unity, allegiance with that man. That's why when people are like, oh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. No, it's not. You're not taking the vaccine to to identify with a man. That was going around for a long time. I can't tell you how many calls I got about that. It's like, slow down. We're still here, so the mark of the beast is not yet here. But all that technology is there. But what it's being said here is the new name that we receive is an identification of the Lord with us. We will be one with him. And I want to close with this verse here. You can let Revelation go. And go to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. By the way, I said this on Sunday night. I think it's amazing to see the kind of technology they're coming out with today. For those of you that are tech geeks, I don't know how many of you are out there, but when the new iPhone released recently, they, they had a new feature. Okay, And this feature was enabling you to communicate with a satellite without any cell signal. So let's say you're hiking in the, in the desert. That'll never be me but you're hiking in the desert, right? And you lose cell service and you fall and you break your arm or something and you need help. You can now, using your phone and a guided user interface tutorial, align yourself with a satellite. Hold it for a moment. It'll collect your signal and send that signal out to somebody who can help you. You know what that taught me? Even when you're in airplane mode, even when you have the Wi-Fi turned off and the data turned off and you think, I'm totally untraceable, they know where you are. (laughs) Amazon with Whole Foods. It's just your palm print. You want to buy groceries faster, right? (laughs) Beep. How easy is it going to be to take the mark of the man so that you can buy and sell? Oh, it's on the name of convenience. They've got stuff in, in, in Washington now where you can go into a Whole Foods, you just have your phone in your pocket, you open up your Amazon app, leave it open, and everything that you collect will be scanned. You just boop, scan it right there, scan it right there, and you walk out. No need for a cashier, no need for security. When you walk out, they, they wait 30 seconds, and they charge your account. All in the name of convenience. How much we're sacrificing for that. But that technology is here. I think that Mark of the Beast technology is, is here. RFID chips underneath the skin to where it meshes with the body and all sorts of stuff like that. What does that mean? Oh, we should be in fear and trembling. We should be jumping up and down. We should be excited because we're very close. Like, yeah, yes, more of this, less, less of this. <laughs> well, I will identify with you, my faithful people. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Who's the us here? We're talking about believers. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that his death, brown resurrection, his shed blood was sufficient for the payment for your sin, this love was bestowed upon you. Maybe you're feeling kind of crummy today. Maybe you feel like, oh, I'm kind of useless. I don't have any purpose in the body. Uh, let me introduce you to a wonderful promise here. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not. And you know what? I could care less what the world thinks about me. I couldn't care less. Excuse me. It it is so irrelevant. Because I'm a child of God. That's all that matters. But here's the real one. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, 
when we're in glory, when we're raptured up, when we're with the Lord forever, I don't know what that is yet, but I know that it's coming. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. <laughs> That's great. It's great for two reasons. <clears throat> Number one, I will be like him, you will be like him, in that you will have no sin nature. I think of Hebrews chapter uh, 12, where it says the sin that so easily besets us. You know, we try our hardest. I, I know we do. And sin still gets the better of us. And we're all fighting our own battles here, but isn't it great to know that one day there's going to be no more battle to fight? And number two... We're going to see him as he is. I know all those painters in the Catholic Church, they want to tell you what Jesus looks like and, you know, all that stuff. He's got the long hair and the fair complexion and all that. Oh. Uh, that's not Jesus. That's uh, one of the reasons why I don't watch really any films that try and portray him uh, because I just, I want to be the first time that I see him to be him. When we look at what he said to the church in Revelation about a church door, a, a door being opened, when you lead a soul to Christ, this promise becomes true for them. Think about the person who led you to the Lord. Aren't you glad that they did? Aren't you glad that someone stood up and, and talked to you? Well, however it was. I think a lot of people got saved in this ministry because of a radio station. Aren't you glad that people routinely sent in money to have that going? It's not cheap to be on radio. When we stopped going on radio, a Bible in here was running about $110,000 a year. And that's for an AM dial. Somebody was faithful to donate for all those years and people were getting saved. But when I see that promise that you will know my new name, I think of this verse. And every man that hath this hope in him, that's you, that's me, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It means we don't, we don't get mired down with sin. We shouldn't be a slave to it in light of these promises that you're going to be like him and you're going to see him for what he is. You're a child of God now. Yes, you have a battle to go through. Yes, it is difficult. But don't succumb to the sin. Purify yourself in fellowship with him because he is pure. You and Jesus are not going to be cutting up in heaven about all the different sins that you did. As a matter of fact, the only thing that will be there as a reminder of that are the holes and the marks on his body. Why be a slave to it now? But there were only a few in Philadelphia that were faithful. Just a few. But God was able to use them. I think we're the faithful few. I think this ministry is one of the faithful few. There's a great temptation for us to become like Ephesus, the church that leaves the doctrine of the gospel for the sake of being right in the scripture. There's also a temptation for us to become the corrupted church, like that was at Thyatira. But in light of these promises, how hard is it really to serve the Lord? And I do this not as a rebuke towards you, but as a sweet and loving encouragement. Serve him today. Don't wait. Don't treat it like you treat that diet Monday. Right? You can close your Bibles. Do it now. Don't wait. You know, there's, there's people that want to join this ministry. I'm happy about that. I'm glad that there's people out there that I could tell you stories about each one of the, the, the individuals who want to join the church. And each person, I just see how the Lord was guiding to bring them here. And I'm thankful for that. I think that's a, a sign that we're doing some things right by having things done biblically. You might see some new people in different places of ministry. I think that's great. But it's all because of what the, the truth of the gospel teaches. If the gospel 
is works-based, if it's something that we have to earn and find out when we die if we got it or not, I'm deceiving you. But the Bible's very clear what the gospel is. Extremely clear. Let me share that with you now. This hand to represent you and me and my wallet to represent sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us very much. He hates this sin because our sin separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect. We have to be perfect just like God and we all fall short. The wages of sin is death. Remember that, that, that quote by Spurgeon. The wages of sin is death. It's not good works. It's not turning something and starting something brand new. It's not community service. You want to pay for this sin? Somebody's got to die for it. This hand is to represent Jesus Christ. God's one and only son, His only begotten Son, fully God and fully man. And He willfully took our sin, laid it upon Himself, and paid it. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Isn't that beautiful? What a transaction. We now have the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ's finished work. We are now seen by God as righteous as His Son. We are now found in Him, and that will never change. What love the Father hath bestowed on us that we have become the sons of God. That's for every atheist out there. That's for every person who has hatred in their heart towards God and has not put their faith in Jesus. It's available to every single person because that is love defined. It is unconditional. It is selfless. Think of the Roman centurions that mocked him. And then think of what they said when he died on the cross. Behold, this is the Son of God. And yeah, there'll be haters and doubters and people that work against you. Trust in the Lord's strength and move forward. Don't quit. But if you're here this morning and you don't know if you have the righteousness of God because you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ that His death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient to pay for your sins, you can experience that right now. And I encourage you to. Would you please put your faith in Him? And for those of us who have already believed, will we not become weary in well-doing? Will we not become bench warmers for the gospel? Someone else will do it. Yeah, they will, but what about you? There's only two churches that Jesus wrote to and He had no rebuke for them. I pray that we have that same willingness to be persecuted and to be found faithful. Amen? I'm encouraging you to be here next week as we go through the church at Laodicea. There's a lot to unpack. And there's a lot of stuff that I wish that I could teach. Uh, But it's it's only eight weeks, you know? That's all the time that we have. But you can do this research too. There's some great resources out there. I'm going to have an interactive map up here next week that I think is, you know, some some good visual for you. It might be hard for you to see, so you might want to sit up closer. But uh, I want to encourage you to not be weary in well-doing, guys. I really do believe the Lord is coming back soon. And I don't think we have a lot of time. And even if I'm wrong, guess what? More time to serve Him. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ's work on the cross in His resurrection, if, if, if that made sense to you today for the first time, right now where you're sitting, will you, will you let us know? Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I... I believe that Jesus died for my sins. It made sense today. Anyone at all before we close? Those on the internet, this offer is available to you as well. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Those five promises that were given by Jesus, they're they're true for us too. I think the most exciting one is that behold, I come quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so rich. It it contains power. It is the only source of truth. It is the only source of authority. And I, I, I praise you for it. Thank you for giving it to us in our language that we can read it, understand it, memorize it, teach it to others. 
Lord, we pray that you come back even today. That if we are supposed to continue to wait, I pray that we would be found faithful with the time we have left. Bless this next part of the, of the day where we have people give their testimonies before the board. Thank you for bringing them under the sounds of the gospel and the teaching here at Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.